Good morning, everyone. It is a great day to worship God. And today we're going to talk about the seeds of opportunity. I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 4. Jesus gave a lot of comparisons in his ministry trying to communicate. Here's what the kingdom of God is all about. And sometimes, you know, you hear the kingdom of God and it sounds kind of philosophical. You're not quite sure. What, like, what, what is that? Is that eventually? Is that now? Does it mean anything for me? How is it going to help me in my life? I'm in school. I'm at work. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a grandparent. What, what's the kingdom of God have to do with my life? And so many times, Jesus would find an analogy, he'd find a story to communicate a glimpse. Here's what the kingdom of God is like. And he says in verse 30, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. As you may have guessed, here's, here's a mustard uh, tree. So you get what Jesus has in mind. And he's saying, hey, here's an example of what the kingdom of God is. But he speaks to our generation because he doesn't say, hey, it's so that you can grow up into a mighty tree and you can just be the most awesome version of yourself that you could ever imagine. And that's the kingdom of God that you just become personally an 11 on a 10 point scale. No, see, that's what the world is like. God's kingdom is different. He says, no, 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 no. You got this little seed, this little teeny tiny mustard seed. But the kingdom is that seed that grows into this incredible tree to give shade and a haven for other birds and animals. He says what the kingdom of God is, is something that grows up that becomes a place of peace, a place of strength, of shelter, protection from the heat. Jesus says that's what the kingdom of God is. It's a place where you can escape the world and come and find rest and rehabilitation. You know, life has many opportunities. I was uh, sharing a story. My brother was telling me when he runs landfills for waste management, and he, he was telling me about a guy that threw away a computer like six years ago. And on that computer was 10,000 Bitcoin. So if you don't know what a Bitcoin is, it's digital currency. And so... You know, you keep record on your hard drive, but if you lose it, that's it. So at the peak, Bitcoin, I think, was just over $20,000 per one Bitcoin. So he threw away $200 million. 
And so he was suing to try and get access to start digging in the landfill. Because he'd buried 200 million. Actually, he had thrown away. And then waste management had buried it. You know, we can sit there in life and we can go back and we can think, well, well, what if? What if I would have made this choice with this opportunity? What if Blake had gone grocery shopping with his roommate instead of gone to Bible talk? You know, life has a lot of choices and profound implications for what happens as a result of that. And Jesus tells his listeners, the kingdom of God is an opportunity. You have no idea what God is going to do with the opportunity if you say, yes, I'll be the little mustard seed. Remember one of the first uh, trips I took over to Moscow, Russia, and one of the preachers over there was sharing about a young man that had passed away a year before. He said, this young man uh, is our brother in Christ. He was only a, uh, a Christian for about two years. And he, had, he was born and raised in a city called Chernobyl. And Chernobyl had a nuclear meltdown in 1986. And he was a young boy at the time. And, of course, nobody quite realized the, the full uh, gamut of what had happened and it was a big publicity thing. Oh, this is bad. They have a meltdown there. And so the government told the schools, you have to get the kids outside to play so that everybody sees normal life. Well, there was massive radiation. And so all these kids died in their early 20s because the radiation exposure that they sustained in Chernobyl. Well, this young man became a disciple about 18, 19 years old, and he lived life for just two years. And the brother that was sharing this story said, I remember being at his funeral. And he said, funerals in Russia are different than they are here. You don't have a really nice, elegant ceremony. You actually meet in a warehouse, and it's a really long conveyor belt. And the casket that the body is in just goes along the conveyor belt. And then whoever happens to be there, whether there's one or two people or a bunch, just kind of walks along with the conveyor belt until it's gone and cremated. And he said, our entire church gathered. This young brother was very loved. And so they said there were more than 100 people there. And he said, we were unique because we're there singing songs, we're praying, we're thanking God for our brother and his life. And in the midst of that, somebody says, hey, who here was brought to church by our brother? And he said about a half dozen people raised their hand. They said, okay, now, if you were brought to church by one of these people that has their hand raised, then raise your hand. And more people raised their hand. And they kept doing that. And there were more than 30 people there because of this young man's influence in his Christian life. Short two years. He had no idea when he was a young boy that his life would make such a profound impact. 
But it matters with what you decide to do with the opportunity that God has given you. Teens, you're going to camp. I know you're not going to rough it. I've seen pictures. They have waiters. Okay. They sit around and they're served their meals. It's, it's kind of like resort living down there. Youth camp's more rustic, but teen camp is very nice. But what you have in front of you is an incredible opportunity to change your life, to change people around you, to change the world around you. But in order for that to happen, the mustard seed has to get planted in the ground. It has to say yes to the opportunity given to it. A seed that stays in your pocket doesn't do anything. It's got to be planted in the ground if it's going to accomplish what God has in mind. So what's it going to take to really maximize the opportunity that God gives us? First thing it's going to take is humility. Humility begins the process. James chapter 1. You know, a lot of times we want great things. We want God to move and work in our lives. We'll pray prayers. God, just do incredible things. And then God starts the process and we're like, hey, I don't like that direction. I don't like where this is going. And God is like, hey, you just said you want me to work in your life. And now you're putting up roadblocks at the very, very beginning. You know, James speaks uh, to the humility that we need in verse 19 to 25. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now let's just stop there for a moment. What's James saying? That your moral life, for good or bad, is proof of humility or pride before God. That you can't live an unrepentant life and claim humility before the Word of God. You can't go, yeah, but I read my Bible every day. Yeah, but does it influence how you live your life? Well, no, I'm, you know, no one's perfect, Ron. Well, that's true. But that's not really the point. The point is, how's your life? What's going on on the inside? What's going on that nobody but God knows about? You can read your Bible all you want. And the word will not impact your heart because of sin that's going on in your life. There's a disconnect. It can't be both ways. He said, you've got to get rid of all that moral filth. And humbly accept the word planted in you that can save you. You see, you can't stand before God and go, God, I just love you so much. I want to do what you say. And then just live a life of unrepentant sin. So our moral life is kind of a litmus test for our humility before God. Well, then he continues on and he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror 
and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, on this humbly accepting the word planted in you, which can save you, James goes a step further and he goes, let me describe it. He goes, do not merely listen to the word. You know, it's really awesome that you're here today to worship God, to sing, to pray, and to hear his word. But we can fake ourselves out by going, hey, I listened to the sermon. He says, no, do what it says. You remember what Chaz preached about last Sunday? Jacob. Name changed to Israel. He wrestled with God. And then his son Benjamin was born. And his dying mom gave him a really discouraging name. And he said, no, your name will be Benjamin. Has it changed your last seven days? Have you been a name changer? Have you been wrestling with God? Have you been stuck in a rut? Doing things the old way. You say, it's too hard. I don't want to fight any longer with God. I don't want to persevere any longer. He says, no, you've got to fight those battles with the Lord if you're going to get your name changed. And then you got the inspiration to pass it on to somebody else. Has Chaz's sermon from the Word of God last week changed your last 168 hours? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what Aaron covered on Tuesday night or what the teens talked about. I just know what we covered in, in my class. Galatians 6. Do you remember what was in Galatians 6? You remember, do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Anybody struggle with weariness? Has Galatians 6 changed your life since Tuesday night? You see, you can listen and not do. You can read your Bible this morning at 6 a.m. with a really great cup of coffee, and by 8 a.m. go... Yeah, I don't really remember what I read, but I mean, I did read in the Bible. No, we're not being humble with the Word of God. James gives us a story and he goes, it's like looking at a mirror and then walking away and forget what you look like. I remember one midweek when I was ministering in the valley. I preached the entire sermon with a sweatshirt backwards and inside out. So the big old tag was like right here. The whole time. And not one person in my glorious ministry of 350 disciples said a single thing. And my wife had a Bible study at our house that night and went home. And this person that she was studying the Bible looked at me and she goes, Why are you wearing your sweatshirt backwards and inside out? And I looked down and I was like, No way. And I go, I don't know. That was unintentional. 
So I went back to the church on Sunday. And I said, how many of you noticed that on Tuesday night, my Carl Kanai sweatshirt was inside out and backwards? Like three-fourths of the church raising their hand. I go, you keep your hands up, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you for a moment. And I gave them a fatherly speech of not speaking the truth in love. One of the campus persons said, oh, I thought you were just trying to be cool. No, I was not. I did not go to a mirror and look at what I look like. When you look at God's word and do not put it into practice, you're staring at a mirror going, man, I got issues. And then leave going, oh, well. You see, the test of your humility is not what you do when you see something and you go, oh, yeah, man, I do look sweet. And this confirmed it. Yeah, the real test of humility is when you struggle with it or maybe even when you disagree with it or when you say, I feel differently. That's where humility is tested. So here's the question. How do you respond to what you've seen about your life from the Word of God? Would James say, you are a man or a woman that humbly has been accepting the Word planted in you? Yes, I see it. You take it. You... you Study it. You obey it. You put it into practice. Yes, I noticed that. Would James say that about you? You know what I find? When, when I don't want to be humble in the Word of God, my response has a lot of I feels in it. You know, the Bible says, Ron, you need to do this. And then I say, yeah, but I feel. Really, what relevance is there to my feeling about the Word of God? Either it is the Word of God, and I need to be humble, or it's not. I mean, you ought to try that. You know, you shouldn't get a speeding ticket, but if you do, you ought to try that. Say, so I wasn't speeding. Well, yes, you were, because the posted speed limit is 35, and you were going 55. Yeah, but I feel... That that sign should read 55. Try it sometime. See if it works. I doubt it will. Unless they're laughing so hysterically they go, no one's tried that. I'll give you bonus points for creativity. I'll let you off. It points humility. You know, Paul to Timothy uh, in 2 Timothy 3, when he's, he's describing, he said, it's going to be terrible times in the last days. He says people are going to be lovers of themselves. They're going to be abusive, disobedient to their parents. Don't do that. Um, but one of the things he lists in there, he goes, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. No, I just, I just need to read more verses. Just give me more Bible. 
as if the ones that you've already learned and are struggling with is going to somehow disappear because you read something else. No. Are you humble before the Word of God? Because the opportunity in front of you depends on it. Humility begins the entire process of God building you into that haven and refuge for others. Pride will stop the process. We need humility. Secondly, we need faith. We need faith. Go to Matthew 17. You say, well, why why did you put faith after humility? I mean, wouldn't it be really great to have faith first? Well, it's nice when faith comes first, but not always. Because sometimes we grow up and we've been wounded by different experiences. And so we've given up on God. We've given up on church. We've given up on Christianity. Or maybe we grew up in a realm where we weren't raised with faith at all. And so the idea of believing in the Bible, the idea of living a committed life, that Jesus died and rose again, is, sounds so crazy. You go, why would I do that? And so faith is not this given on the front end. But if you're humble on the front end, then faith can come along with it. Okay, So that's why I put it second. But anyway, faith moves obstacles. And we're in Matthew 17, in verse 19. The disciples had tried to drive out this demon. They couldn't. And then Jesus came down, and he dealt with the demon. And then in verse 19, it says, The disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I, the Bible never lets people off the hook. And I love, you know, the disciples because they're just like me. You know, they kind of get publicly humiliated. They try and drive these demons out there. They're Jesus representative and they fail. And then Jesus comes you know, Big Daddy comes on in and he deals with it. And then it says when they get to private, they're like, hey, um, Jesus, what happened? They didn't ask him that in front of the crowd. They waited till no one was around. And then they're like, what happened? And Jesus says, because you have so little faith. It says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, then you can stay to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Our faith is not tested when life is good. You know, Jesus said, hey, then you're going to be able to move the mountain. You're going to be able to take the obstacle and you're going to put it in a place where it's no longer an obstacle. Say, what obstacles are you experiencing in your life right now? You feel captive to them? You feel discouraged by them? Do you go to bed at night thinking about it, waking up thinking about it? 
Jesus says the problem is a lack of faith. He goes, see, I knew it. I just don't have the faith in Jesus. That's why Jesus says, no, all you need is a mustard seed of faith. All you need is to believe that your faith makes a difference. You know, it's been fun for my wife and I. Last night, uh, Blake's family came over to our house, and we got to hear stories and and uh, hear about Blake when he's a little guy and different things. But one of the things you love as a minister, when you just see the seeds of faith that have been prayed about for decades, and then you get to see what God does with it later. You see, each one of us, has a story to tell, but there's people we need to thank because the faith they had praying for us. God does his most glorious work when the obstacles are the greatest. So what are you doing with the obstacles in your life? You know the good news? You only need a mustard seed. Your faith can make a life and world of difference. Take the mustard seed and move the mountains. You know, a different kind of obstacle is forgiveness. Go over to Luke chapter 17. You know, forgiveness is when... We're in a situation and somebody sinned against us, somebody's hurt us. And just to be clear here, to forgive literally means to surrender your right to get even. Okay? That's what it means to forgive. Sometimes we go, well, you just forgive and forget. Well, really, it's actually forgive and remember. Because you can't surrender your right to get even without acknowledging the offense. So, you know, like when our kids were little, you know, and you're doing training, you know, they shove and knock somebody down. Okay, you go, and what do you need to say right now? You know, and as, as little kids, they're learning, um, please, no, wrong word. Uh, I'm sorry, yes, okay, and then what do you say? I forgive you, and then you hug, and then, okay, now, now there's reconciliation. Forgiveness is important. Sometimes we do this. Somebody goes, hey, I'm really sorry. We go, that's okay. Oh, it is? Then I can do it again right now. Well, that's not really what I meant. Yeah, because that's also not forgiveness. That's okay. What is that's okay? It wasn't okay. Don't tell them that's okay. They sinned. No, I forgive you. That releases the tension. It doesn't mean that if they stole a thousand bucks from you, that you're going to leave a stack of cash on the kitchen table the next time they come over. But it means that you're not going to go try and get even. Okay, so that's forgiveness. You say, why, why is that an obstacle? Well, of faith. Well, Luke 17. Jesus says, so watch yourself, verse 3. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. 
And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and say, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can save this mulberry tree, be uprooted, planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Some of life's greatest obstacles are the hurts that we carry along with us, the wounds. They're emotional mountains, they're spiritual mountains. And we've been hurt, we've carried it along. And Jesus says, let me tell you something. If somebody sins against you and then they come and say, you know, I repent, then you need to forgive them. Well, what if they do it seven times in seven days and Jesus, or in the same day? Jesus says, well, you need to forgive them. And they're like, oh, my, increase our faith. You say, why is forgiveness a matter of faith? Because to surrender your right to get even is to say, okay, God, I'm putting the situation in your hand. It's releasing control of the outcome of the other person. You see, when I don't want to forgive, it's because I want that person to feel the hurt that they've caused me. I want them to know what they've done. You need to know how much hurt you caused. You see, you can't forgive with the attitude of going, I want you to hurt. Because what you did to me. You see, forgiveness releases it to God and says, okay, I surrender to get even. Now, that doesn't heal everything, but I'll tell you what, it stops Satan from being able to hold you captive to what somebody else has done to you. You know what the amazing thing is? Is when you choose not to forgive, You're basically handing them a joystick saying, I give you the power to run the emotions of my life. Now have at it. You're like, no, that person sitting against me, that's the last thing I want to do is give them the ability to keep running the show and hurting me again and again and again. When you choose not to forgive, when you want to hang on to the right to get even, You're handing the control of your heart to that person. The disciples understood that. That's why when Jesus says, man, seven times in a day, you need to forgive them. And they're like, increase our faith. Whoa. You know, I remember the first time I read that, I thought, that's kind of a really weird response. Like, well, you need to forgive them seven times in a day. Wow. Give me faith. Because I didn't really connect it to faith. I just thought, well, I thought I need to be more loving. You know, help me be more loving. Say, no. Increase our faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith, you can take that tree and uproot it and move it away. Jesus' forgiveness is a spiritual item. Why? Because it acknowledges God's role in the scenario and puts him in control instead of us trying to get even. You got any lack of forgiveness? 
but you need to just hand over to God, have the faith. God does a better job dealing with people anyway. So you need to make that decision. I'll tell you what Satan's telling you right now. Don't do it. Wait. Pray more about it. That sounds good, doesn't it? Now, Satan's saying, do anything but surrender it to God. As long as you stay in control, Satan wins the day. We need faith to maximize the opportunity of what God has put in front of you. Finally, number three, we need sacrifice. John chapter 12. John 12, verse 24 and 25. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Remember what Jesus said the kingdom of God is like? It's this mustard tree. It's a teeny tiny seed, but it's going to grow up and it's going to be a place where people can rest. It can be a haven, protection from the sun. This is the same message Jesus is saying here. You've got to choose who you will live for. And there's only two choices. Yourself or others. Jesus says, if you want to maximize the opportunity that God has given you, you've got to be that kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. The, the thing about a seed is it, it doesn't half die. It either completely dies or it doesn't. You know, when you leave these doors today, you're going to choose who you're going to live for. I'm going to live for myself or no, I'm willing to fall to the ground and die and let God produce many seeds. You know, Jesus uses this seed analogy because if he just said, you know what, if you want to produce many seeds, then you just need to be serving or giving or sacrificial. But the least serving person on the planet can find some time in the last week or month where they serve somebody. They can go, see, look, I, I, I sacrificed a little bit last Tuesday at 8 p.m. You know, I was in a really good chair at midweek and it was right under the A.C., but then somebody else was overheating, and I let them have my good chair. See, I sacrificed. That is way different than when Jesus says you have to die if you want to produce many seeds. Galatians, Paul said, I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. See, Paul understood what the crucified life was all about. He goes, it's totally different than what the world's going to tell you. 
But that's why Jesus is trying to figure out, how do I explain the kingdom of God? He said, no, you're going to be that, that mustard seed that's going to grow and your life is going to impact others. He goes, that's what the kingdom is all about. Say, but what will you choose? How will your life look? You know, the two most important spiritual documents that you have in your possession, your calendar, and I'll say bank statements since we don't really write checks anymore. Checkbook is a little outdated, but not totally. You say, well, why those two things? Because it shows what you consider most important. It shows whether or not you've been living as a single seed or whether you've been a seed that falls to the ground and dies. It shows whether or not you love your life or whether or not you've lost it for Jesus' sake and will gain it. When push comes to shove, when life gets busiest, you will default to either be in the single seed or live in the crucified life. There's no in-between. You can't half die. That doesn't mean you can't do some good things while you're living life for yourself. But it's not going to be the life that produces the kingdom opportunity that God has given each one of us. So what are you going to do? You have a choice. How will humility influence your life? Will you be a person of the Word of God? Will that define your life? Will that be the guidelines, the teaching, the direction, the principles that you hold dear? Or will you look at a mirror and then walk away and forget what you look like? How about faith? You know, we move forward when we believe that something can be different. Is there areas where you're roadblocked right now that you lack faith? You stop believing it can be better. It can be different. Jesus says, no, you just need the mustard seed. And you can move mountains. Or maybe it's wounds and hurts. And you've chosen not to forgive. Because we just haven't wanted to give control of getting even over to God. And Satan is holding you captive. So have the faith to give it over to God and let God do what only God can do. Finally, how are you going to live? Single seed? I live for me. Or will I live the crucified life? Will I prioritize others? Over me. Every day is an amazing opportunity that God gives you. We have no idea what the next decade, next three decades are going to look like. Maximize the opportunity that God has given you. Make decisions with humility, with faith, and sacrifice, and plant the seeds of opportunity that God has put in your life. Let's stand as we close in a final song.